Hello everyone, I'm Joel Van Hoogen, and this is The Bread of Life, a radio ministry of the International Mission Church Partnership Evangelism and its associate fellowship, The Bread of Life Church in Boise, Idaho. To learn more about how God is using us to equip and engage the body of Christ in personal evangelism, discipleship, and church planting, go to traincpe.org. And to learn more about our local church fellowship, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Very often, the pushback on the gospel that salvation comes by faith alone in Christ alone is that such a message undermines a person's motivation to be a good person. The gospel, it is said, undermines good morals. At the heart of that argument is a desire to be independent from God. And this, folks, is the essential weakness of our fleshly natures. We are prone to wander from God. Paul, you're actually promoting an idea that's promoting more immorality. You're promoting lawlessness. You're untethering people from any incentive to be moral at all. And so these people that are making the protest are positioning themselves as paragons of righteousness. They're positioning themselves as the ones who are the advocates for good, strong, moral living. And maybe they have been. Maybe they've been the ones in their society that have tried to hold up the best standard and they're incensed and bothered by the fact that Paul is suggesting that all that they're doing is of no great value to God and hasn't accomplished any righteousness for them. And so here are these individuals that are espousing and, and seem to be putting themselves in the position of holding the need to be moral and right and good and to have a standard that everybody lives by. Paul is basically saying that this moralistic attitude, this legalistic attitude, and by the way, it's not individuals, it's not just people who are very circumspect and trying to live moral lives that make this protest. There are people who live lives that are almost abandoned of any morality whatsoever, but put them in a corner and all of a sudden they'll protest of the one or two little trinkets of good things they do, that that has to be the thing and you're going to set the world on fire if you don't appeal to the fact that people need to be good in order to be saved. And It doesn't matter. They'll come back to that moral argument. And here's what Paul's saying. This moralistic argument, this legalistic attitude that thinks that we can gain our own right standing and approval from God by our actions is motivated by the fleshiness that wants some form of independence from God, that departs from God. The heart that desires to hold God at a distance would prefer to have a contractual relationship with Him where a person can earn approval or acceptance from God a situation where God owes them something as payment for some good deed or some behavior that they've done. Grace doesn't work like that. It's something that's given without any merit whatsoever. There is no contract involved in it. I do this, you give me that. I do that, you give me this. I do these good works, you owe me these things. And you do that, you follow that, you have some modicum of your own contribution, your own self-esteem, your own self-worth. You can put that in your pocket and keep it for yourself. And you can say, God owes something to me. It's contractual. But if God comes to you in your utter brokenness and your complete deserving of unending judgment, and He comes and rescues you when you have absolutely no power whatsoever to rescue yourself, and He gives to you what you do not deserve in any way freely and pours it out upon you, then what that does is it gives birth to a gratitude that binds you to the one who's loved you in such a way that He bore your sins and He took all your brokenness and gave you what you didn't deserve. And there's 
Nothing of yourself that you can put in your pocket and say is yours. So there's no point at which you claim independence from him. You become owned by the one who's done all that to you. You become bound to him in such a way, you say, how can I help but love him when he loved me so? And you're knit to him in this, this deep, profound commitment because he's rescued you and he's saved you and he's come and exchanged his life for you and he's freely given you his righteousness in the place of your unrighteousness. Even your good works were just filthy rags and he put it all aside and washed you and cleansed you. And When that happens, everything goes into his hands. All of you goes into his hands. His saving hands. And there's no independent self left. God has everything. He holds everything because of his grace and mercy. And the flesh doesn't like that. It resists that. The posture of the flesh is prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Let me earn something from you instead that I can claim to my own merits. And then I can expect you to bless me. Paul sees the independent attitude in the question that's being asked of him. He recognizes the weakness of the flesh that's rising up in the protest that is being made by these supposedly moralistic individuals against a truth that would claim a person's heart and soul and mind. And he speaks with an analogy of the Christian life that will challenge this attitude of the flesh. He basically says, you're going to have to become a slave of God. You're going to have to enslave yourself to his righteousness. If you don't, you're just a slave of sin. You're enslaved and you will be enslaved to it all the way into death. Enslave yourself to him. Now here's an application for us. We have to learn how to listen to the doubts that people have and the expressions of unbelief that they share, even the doubts and unbelief that rise up in our own hearts. We can't entirely ignore them or deny them, but pay attention to them because oftentimes you'll see rooted at it is a protest of the claim of the gospel upon a person's life. Rooted at the base of it is this insinuated desire to have God explain himself in such a way that you can maintain a distance from him. Just as long as we have an understanding God. Right? And then you maintain the sense of your own distance. And God is calling us into a life of trust and faith in which we, we abandon ourselves to him completely. And we yield ourselves completely to him. And he has complete control. So the analogy is that of slavery. And the choice is between one of two slaveries. The slavery to sin or the slavery to righteousness. And an individual has to, in a sense, decide he has to decide which slavery he will lay himself to. But he needs to know that if he seeks independence from God, if he pulls away from God, he's just pulling, his flesh is just pulling him towards the bondage and slavery of sin and death. Now let's look at the last part of verse 19. We've just considered briefly the first part of verse 19. Here's what we read. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. So the first thing that Paul would have us consider is the future that lies before both of these slaveries, or what flows out of being brought under both of these different slaveries. And here's the point. Either one of these enslavements, and whether he's enslaved to sin or enslaved to righteousness, gains a certain kind of momentum in an individual's life. Each one of them deepens as you progress into them. You seek to maintain your independence from God, and you will go deeper and deeper into your bondage to sin. It will guide you into greater and greater impurity and greater and greater lawlessness. That's what he's saying here. Remember, I just said that 
Paul has heard this independent spirit in those who are protesting somewhat the immoral idea that we're saved by grace. Well, that's not very moral. That puts the law aside. That keeps us doing the right thing. Paul's actually saying, oh, no, listen, you go with that logic. You follow that. It's being motivated by your desire to be independent of God. And here's what's going to happen. You're just going to become increasingly unclean. And actually, you're the one who's going to become increasingly lawless. That's what he sees in it. How did Paul get that insight? Maybe Paul got it because of what the Lord Jesus taught. You'll remember that the Lord Jesus confronted the Pharisees. You'll find it in Matthew chapter 23. And there's this tremendous repudiation that he gives to the Pharisees and the scribes. And the scribes were all those who wrote and recorded all the law and made sure that everybody was following the law. And the Pharisees the one who debated about the law, debated about just the right measure of how to fulfill the law, sought to answer it and fulfill it in such a way that everybody would look at them and marvel at how moral they were in following the law. And the Lord Jesus rebukes them. And he rebukes these individuals who appear to be such moral individuals And he rebukes them for their utter defilement that's inside of them in their lives. Let me read to you chapter 23 of Matthew. Let me just read to you verses 27 and 28. You want to actually get a crisp view of Christ at his sharpest critique of an individual. Read this whole chapter. It's rather stunning. He pronounces a series of woes, and here's one of his woes. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Now remember, these are the legalists. For you are whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. You're defiled, just like I said. Just like I said, listen, if you're going to depart and you're going to the slavery, you're just going to go into more and more uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. That's what's behind it all. You're not driving yourself closer to God. You're not following His precepts. You're not yielding to it. You've got these outward precepts that you follow, but your heart is governed by lawlessness and defilement, and it's increasing in your life as you go along. You're not getting better. You're getting worse. You're becoming more and more corrupt. Inside, you're becoming more and more corrupt. That's Jesus' assessment. Paul says that's what's going on. I would just kind of give you a little bit of an idea here. You find some group of individuals or some cult or some sect that lays all kinds of weight on performance and moral performance and following laws and how you're to appear and how you're to dress and the things you're supposed to do and say. And you look under the surface of the individuals who become the strong advocates for their lives and you'll find underneath the surface, scratch down and see what they're thinking about and what's toiling around and spinning around their hearts. And it's just a whirlpool of uncleanness and lawlessness and defilement. It's not surprising you'll find many of these people in their own homes are bound into all kinds of perverse behaviors and addictions, and on the outside they look pure. Their lives are raging with passions that are inordinate and inappropriate. Paul is addressing the individual, say, that's what God sees under your heart. That's what sees in all your righteousness. All your righteousness is indeed like filthy rags. The more you double down it, the filthier it gets. That's what he's confronting. Here's the future. You move away from God. You seek to be free of Him. And you'll be caught up in an ever-growing defilement of life, even if you try to move away from being moral, and by being good and following all kinds of rules. You'll be caught up in an ever-growing defilement of life. But turn to Him. Take what He freely gives you through His Son, Jesus Christ. 
Yield yourself to him fully and fall under the bondage of grace and mercy and his love. You begin to walk out from your life a life that it says leads to sanctification. That is, leads to increasing holiness. That is, you become more and more Christ-like, more and more like our Lord Jesus. Let's look at verses 20 and 22. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification, and its sin is eternal life. And so here's the second thing we'll consider. The first one was consider what flows out of these two slaveries or what the future is of these two slaveries. The next one is consider the freedoms of both of these slaveries. Each one of them offers some form of freedom. One of them makes you free from everything but righteousness, or free to everything, and the only thing you're free from is righteousness. You might remember the sense of freedom that came upon you. I remember this. You know, Saturdays was the day you had to get all your chores done. When you finally got your chores done, and some days it took a long time, other days it didn't, and you walked out the door to go to your friend's house to play, there was a sense of being out of your chains, you know, being unbounded. You were free, and maybe some of that began to continue to go with you when you became a teenager. And then as you walked out of the home to go out and be with your friends and maybe do things that were inappropriate or when you were released to go away for a weekend with your friend or spend the night with your friend there was this same sense of independence of being out from underneath the governance of your parents and not now young people have to learn how to live that life because eventually they're going to be going out from their homes but something begins to tick within us that sees that independence as this positive thing because now it's an opportunity for us to express ourselves and do the things we really Thanks for joining us today at the Bread of Life. We'd love to hear from you. Go to breadoflifeboise.org and follow the links to send us a message of encouragement or a prayer request. Until the next time, may the Lord bless you.